Can you imagine if you went to hear someone speak or you were listening to maybe a recorded message or whatever, and it, and it came across like this? Oh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm Ben, and I'm really excited to be here. I'm super stoked to have this amazing time with you. I mean, I woke up so wired and excited, and I think this, this talk is going to be really important-ish. So you might want to maybe take some notes, um, but I'm really pumped for today. Can you imagine if you, if you were listening to that, you'd be like, I'm not going to pay attention to this guy anymore. The tone's all wrong. Looks like he hadn't had enough sleep. Uh, he, his words are not matching what he looks like. Uh, like he, he's not communicating well here. You'd think it'd be boring and irrelevant and, uh, you know, totally, it'd be a totally unsuccessful communication, wouldn't it? I mean, we know that uh, communication is a lot of things. It's content, sure. It's the message, yes. But it's also in the way that you present the message. That is pretty important. I mean, and we know this in communication in general, right? I mean, if we're really trying to get something important across, like if you want to have a deep conversation with somebody, uh, you're not going to do it with you know, the TV on and all the devices in everybody's hand, that's not going to be the best environment for a communication to happen in a deep and meaningful way. Well, certainly God created everything and he created things like communication. And he understood that for us as humans to understand things, we need to be able to, to, to hear it in a way that we understand. And that's part of the reason why God inspired the writers of Scripture to record these things in a number of different genres and different methods and, and, and ways. And, and, and there are people from all over every walk of life in Scripture represented to, to convey the important message that God wanted us to hear. He wanted us to hear His heart and His will. And that's part of why it's important to study parts of the Bible like the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets Sure, they, they may be the maybe the least read of our English Bible and probably, if anything, the least understood, but they're still so important in, in communicating what God wanted us to hear. And so we've been kind of going through these, these minor prophets we call the 12. Originally, they were maybe one big scroll. And they were called the 12, and we, we've been breaking up uh, this each of these 12 into different uh, parts and pieces here. And today is actually our final one. We're going to be looking at uh, the other three. And there's part, there's lots of reasons why the other three are called the other three. In, in at least the, the small sense, we're not totally sure who the authors were per se, and timing them is a little tricky. Um, but we're going to be looking at that today. But, but ultimately, look, God, I mean, God could have told the prophets, okay, just give the people the message. And the prophets could have, you know, maybe stood up in ancient Israel or, or, or around Jerusalem, and they could have stood up and said, you know, on the street corner with a bullhorn, they could have said, okay, folks, you're sinning, and God's going to judge you again. You're worshiping other gods. You're spending all your money on yourself, and you're being dishonest in business, etc., etc., etc. So therefore, God is going to send a bad nation to punish you and, and to destroy you for all your ways. Uh, but don't worry, uh, eventually down the road, uh, good things will happen and God will restore the nation if you're faithful uh, and there will be peace. Any questions? I mean, they could have just done that, but no, no, that's not how, how it works. We need to be able to hear communication in a way that, that, that sparks our interest. And so the minor prophets used all kinds of narratives and stories and visions, metaphors, songs even, to convey, once again, God's heart and his will.
And so today, as we end our, our, our series, Majoring in the Minors, God, too, wants us to hear, once again, his heart and his will. He wants us to understand his sovereignty, uh, the idea of keeping faith with him, even in difficult and turbulent times. So today we get like a highlight reel of, uh, of three different prophets. We're going to be looking at Joel, Obadiah, and Jonah. Now, I know you probably have heard the Jonah story, but, but today we're actually going to get, drum roll, drum roll please, <clears throat> we're going to get story of a grasshopper attack. Awesome. Uh, a nation beating up on a nation that beat up on a nation. And then finally, we're going to get the tale of the whiny preacher. So let's pause for a second and pray together. Father, we come before you and we just ask that you open up our hearts. Let our ears hear what you have to hear for us to hear. Father, may we be moved by the power of your Holy Spirit and that, Father, we would um, hear your heart and your will for, for us, not only in, in the times of the minor prophets, but for us today in the turbulent times that we're going through. Father, we pray your peace would be upon us as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, Find the book of Joel in your device or your printed Bible. I've got my, my, my handy-dandy study Bible here that we'll be referring to. But find Joel, and while you're doing that, I just want to remind you, remember of those three pro tips we were talking about, right? And you're going to have these memorized by heart, right? Any, any part of the Bible that you're in, these are helpful. First of all, find out what's going on historically, what's happening in the world, what is going on in, in, in politics and in, 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 in what's going on in culture, Helpful to know what's going on in the context. What year is it or, or what kind of time frame are we looking at? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, who is the prophet and to whom are they speaking? You know, who is the prophet and, and, and who's the audience that the prophet is trying to, to reach? And then finally, what type of literary genre are we looking at? Again, there's all kinds of different literary genres. We've already talked about that. And so what is the literary genre? Those are the three pro tips. Let's apply those now to these three books, the other three, Joel, Obadiah, and Jonah. Well, what's going on historically? Well, again, it's a little tricky to date some of these, especially the book of Obadiah. Uh, but we're looking at the pre-Assyrian period. You know, Assyria is beginning its slow, you know, uh, journey to become a world power. But we're in that kind of pre-Assyrian uh, time frame, right before Assyrian becomes this great world power. And, um, and it's at a time for both Israel in the north and Judah in the south uh, to repent and return to the Lord. This is a common theme of the prophets, but especially the minor prophets. Repent and turn to the Lord. Now, Joel was probably written sometime around King Joash in the northern kingdom of Israel, sometime in there. Obadiah, I'm telling you, there are many, many theories about when Obadiah was written. Jonah, we think sometime near the death of that famous prophet of the Old Testament, Elisha. Somewhere in there. Again, that's pretty vague, but that's kind of where we're at. Now let's apply the second pro tip, which is who, uh, and I'll just tell you right now, it's kind of unknown. Uh, it could be that, you know, these books were, were kind of tagged with the name of the prophet, which is what most scholars think, but there is some unknown there. We're not totally sure much about the, you know, kind of the, the, the biographies of Joel and Obadiah and Jonah. We get a little bit of hint from, from their writing, but we don't know much about them. And we, we know that you know, Jonah wrote to, to Israel, while both Obadiah and, and Joel wrote to the southern kingdom of Judah. That's, that's about what we know on that second pro tip. Third pro tip, genre. Uh, well, Joel comes across more like a sermon uh, with this scary locust plague. And it's weird that uh, 
locusts are, are kind of an interesting thing. I think that's actually happening right now, uh, or it has just recently in Africa and some of the Middle East. They, they've ha they have every once in a while these great locust attacks that come through. What you may not know, uh, part of the reason why it's so scary, at least for me, I don't like bugs, but the, these, these locusts, when they're full grown, they can travel at like 11 miles an hour, which is crazy. Females can lay like 400 you know, babies in like a couple of months. And so they multiply fast and they can destroy up to 40 miles a day. So this is a big deal. So this, Joel's kind of the sermon, but it's using this scary metaphor of this locust plague. Again, to get the people to repent and prepare for judgment. Now, Obadiah, let's talk about Obadiah for a second real quick. Genre, the shortest book in the, in the whole Old Testament. It's very short. In fact, if you're turning pages, and maybe you did that while I was talking already, you've been trying to find it and you're like, if you blink, you skip it. Obadiah is very short, shortest of the Old Testament. But again, that, that book is, is calling people to treat people as you would have them treat you. It's almost that golden rule. Jesus will restate it later in the positive. You know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. This idea of treating others well. And that's kind of the short message there of, of action in Obadiah. And he speaks of this, this group of people called Edom. Um, which are descendants of Esau. Remember, there's Esau and Jacob in the Old Testament. We don't have time to go into to that kind of family split, but they were kind of at odds for a while. Esau was, uh, you know, went his way and Jacob went his way. Uh, but but uh, the people of Edom were of Esau's descendants. And, and so they were kind of in an evil way. And, and God was going to use, again, a pagan nation to destroy them. And so we get some of that. And finally, we get this masterpiece narrative we call Jonah. And Jonah is, is a... Is, is a well-loved story. Most people know it. It's basically a story about a reluctant missionary uh, who, who is very successful and he can't stand the fact that he's successful. And that's, that's really what we're looking at for, for genre, kind of a narrative there for Jonah. Okay, let's jump into Joel. First of all, I'm going to just read a few things from the little book of Joel. And just to kind of get us started here, uh, remember, you're ready to uh, run from the scary locusts. Here we go. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and let their children to another generation. And what the cunning locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my wine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it down. The branches are made white. So, we get this, this picture of destruction by these locusts and uh, kind of amazing to, to just see, wow, this is coming as a judgment. So we get this metaphor here. And again, I'm not a big, big fan of, of bugs really in general. I, many of you know, I used to live in Tennessee and we moved to Tennessee from Oregon, kind of used to the bugs in Oregon, but out in Tennessee, bugs are a little different. I know they're, they're insects and I don't know what the proper term is for all the different types of insects out there. But I just remember one of the first years we were there, I found this big bug in our driveway and it was big enough to where it almost looked like it had a face. 
And I remember discovering it and it kind of like looked at me and hissed. I'm like, ah, and, and, and here we go. When we read this, it kind of gives me the eebie-jeebies. But this idea that, that God is very aware of what's happening in nations and peoples. And when they are wicked and cruel and there's evil amongst them, God sees that and there's judgment for that. And in some cases, this language is, is kind of scary. But the prophet is encouraging God's people to lament for, them, for their, lament for their sins, humble themselves, and worship him authentically, even through tough circumstances. You know, with all this war and destruction that Joel's kind of hinting at here, even then, Joel points to a future day of the Lord, where certainly judgment will happen, that there will be justice done, but God will pour out his spirit and save his people. See, with God, there's always hope. And Joel wanted to remind the people of that, even with something like a scary invasion of, of scary locusts. So uh, let's move on to Obadiah now. Obadiah, let's flip over there. And you'll have to skip over the book of Amos if you're kind of going, uh, you know, this way in your Bibles here, or left to right. Obadiah, let's look at that real quick. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for a battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Well, that's a happy message, isn't it? So that's a little bit of Obadiah. Now remember, Obadiah was speaking against the people who were from the line of Esau. We think it's the Edomites. And these were people that likely their capital city was this ancient city. I think it's one of the, the wonders of the ancient world called Petra. And uh, Petra was, was positioned in such a way that it was almost like they were kind of in the clefts of the rock. In fact, the city was kind of carved into the rock. And so that phrase that we read about how you live in the clefts of the rock, where they almost have this pride about where they are. God is just saying, no, it doesn't matter where you're at. The judgment will still find you. And, uh, and, and really, they were kind of being punished, Edom was, for an early you know, assault against God's people Israel. Back, way back, back in their history where, where the, the, Edom, the Edomite people were very unfriendly to Israel. And so even then, God's judgment is still going to be able to affect them. And, and eventually, a hostile nation is going to wipe them both out. But Edom is going to be first. It's not a very chipper and, and happy message. But again, God's judgment is not only powerful, but it, but it doesn't forget it sees. And sometimes if you feel like there's been injustice in your life or, or things where you, you've been hurt and you feel like you've, there's, there's no solution or there's no resolution, God sees that and he cares. All right, let's move on now to Jonah. And I almost, this one doesn't even need too much introduction. People love the book of Jonah. There's been all kinds of things done, uh, you know, dramatically with that. I, I kind of feel like Jonah is like the perfect Broadway play. And it's laid out in four chapters. It's super easy to read. It's narrative. You get these characters that you kind of kind of get into. Even, even minor characters that show up in the story, you kind of begin to kind of get to know them a little bit, like these sailors on the boat. You know, you kind of feel for them. So the book of Jonah, it's a literary masterpiece. And, uh, and here, let's just get into it a little bit. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. That's fun. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. As if you could escape the presence of the Lord. I'm not really sure what John was thinking here, but I think we've said this before on Sundays, right? If you're going to run from God, avoid boats. Well, as you know the story, uh, eventually God's going to bring this fish and, 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 and Jonah's going to be tossed overboard to save the rest of the sailors. And he gets swallowed by a fish. And then finally, he has a change of heart, oddly enough. And he decides to do what God told him to do. Go to that ancient city of Nineveh that was the capital city of Assyria and, and speak to them about God's judgment on the city. And so you know some of the story here. He goes, he preaches, everybody's cut to the heart, they repent, and, and Jonah's like, not really even paying attention to get the feel. He's like, wants to climb up on a hill. In fact, he does. And he's, and he's up there on the hill waiting for God to like rain, burn, you know, firestone and brimstone, whatever. He's going to destroy the city, burn it to the ground. He's excited. He's got his popcorn ready and he's ready to watch this thing. And God relents because the people humbled themselves and repented and cried out to God. That, that, really, that really mattered to God. And, and God wanted to save the people because God's heart is always for people. Always is, always has been, always will be. But Jonah didn't have a heart for those people. And he was upset that God forgave them. And he was ready to really accuse God of some kind of injustice. He's accusing God of injustice. And, and God has to kind of stop him and say, look, you care more about like plants and you know other stuff more than people. And, 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 and he says, Jonah, why, why shouldn't I care for these people? Why shouldn't I care for all these folks that are down here, they're, they're repenting. And, and God's heart is once again for people. And, and the, the sad thing is, I don't think Jonah ever, it's not a really happy ending. Jonah's just not happy. He's not happy of the compassion of God. That, that God would have compassion for all people, all nations. When people humbly own up to their own sin and they repent, God sees that. And that's powerful. Now, Jonah's just upset God forgave Nineveh. He's just not going to happen. He's not, not happy with it. Uh, and it really begs the question for all of us, right? Just how compassionate are you? Well, that's the real question. Jonah, how compassionate are you? You know, God's love is for sinners and saints and even those nasty Assyrians. Does that make us uncomfortable? Does God's compassion get, get our dander up a little bit? Are there people that you, you don't necessarily want God's compassion to be shown to? And that's, that's a really strong question for us, especially as Christ followers. Jesus came to be a light to all nations. Are there certain nations and peoples that we don't want God's compassion and his light to, to shine for? These are big questions. You know, Jonah's story kind of foreshadows really what God is going to do in the first century. And we know kind of the, the rest of the story now, those of us who are followers of Christ, we know that, you know, God put on flesh and walked among us, was born of the Virgin Mary and led a sin, sinless life and then went to the cross, was crucified, he died, was buried, but he resurrected 
from the dead and gave hope. And the church was launched on that hope that Jesus' forgiveness and hope was for every people, all people, every nation for all time. And we got to see, just like Jonah needed to see, that God's heart is global. It's global. Well, let's bring it down to you and me now. Let's talk about this. How, how is your relationship with the Lord when things are bleak? You know, maybe like in the time of Joel, you know, when there's you know, this sense of attack and these locusts and this metaphor of things not quite being what we had hoped. Do you long for justice over nations and peoples that hurt others? I mean, let me ask another question. How should God treat those who mistreat other people? That's a good question. All of those are good questions. Do you need reassurance today that God cares for what's going on in your life? I think, I think God does care. You see, God is aware of what's going on in humanity. He's not turning a blind eye to sinful rebellion, to evil, to injustice. And many of the prophets restate this one thing here. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. This happens over and over again. Nahum, Joel, Jonah, even Exodus repeats that same phrase. Yet with all that, God is full of compassion and mercy when people humble themselves, own up, their own, own up to their own sinfulness, and truly seek him. Psalm 148 verse, or 145 verse 8 sings this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So here's the only point I have for us today, is that you and I, we need to embrace both the love and the justice of God. If we're going to accept the love, we also need to understand and accept and honor his justice. God is both the judge and the justifier for those who come to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul he struggled with this. He was an early church leader, wrote much of the New Testament in letter form. In one of his letters to his friends in Rome, in chapter seven of that letter, he affirms both his own sinfulness and God's law being good. And he cried out at the end of that chapter, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Jesus affirmed himself, both God's love and his justice, they work together. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus here says, do not neglect the law, but also don't forget the more important matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You see, only in Jesus Christ is both the love and the justice of God revealed. We need Jesus. When we stand in judgment one day before God, we must plead Jesus and Jesus only and his sacrificial death for us. He's our only hope. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. I mean, today's today, you could do that even online. Let us know your decision. That you can, you know, you, it, it, the scriptures make it very easy. That we believe that Jesus is God's Son who went and, and did all that for us on the cross and, and, and lived a perfect life, was crucified, died, was buried, but rose again. That's our belief. We put our belief in Him. And, and that's trusting that God is who He says He is. Then we re re repent of our sin. And we say, well, God, we're sorry. We know we've messed up. And we want to go a different direction in life. We want to start following you, Jesus, instead of the way we were going. And we confess that before everyone. And we get baptized. And then we begin to live for him. That's making Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. And that is what we need when we stand before God's judgment. And we embrace both his love and his justice in one moment. I want to pray here in a little bit. And I'm thankful that you could be with us today. 
Next week is Palm Sunday, and that's a big deal. In the Christian calendar, that's kind of the inaugural week where, where Jesus, um, we commemorate him riding into the capital Jerusalem. Remember, God has been working toward this. The entire scriptural uh, record is moving toward this moment where, where Jesus comes into town and people are excited and they're cheering him on and they throw down these, these palm branches, kind of symbolizing that he is the, the king of peace riding into Jerusalem. And so we, we celebrate that next weekend. And then that kicks off what we call Holy Week in the Christian calendar. And some people choose to fast and pray extra more or extra time during that to lead us up to Easter. Then we have Friday, Good Friday, remembering Jesus' death on the cross. And then we celebrate Easter on April 12th. And on Easter, we're going to start a new series called In Him, So We, where we celebrate everything we have in Christ because he came for us. And so I just want to let you know that's what's coming ahead. And, um, and now let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the minor prophets. We thank you for the, the, the call to action that they give us to, to return to you, to, to obey you, to trust you. Father, to, to embrace certainly both your love and justice. We're thankful that you're the judge and we're not. We're thankful that you're in charge and we're not. And so, Father, right now, as we, as we kind of wade through this craziness of, of this virus and, and being on lockdown, Father, even in the midst of all that, that we would remember you love us more than we could possibly imagine, even though we're more sinful than we ever want to realize. We're thankful that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to your power. So, Father, uh, do your work in us this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.